I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Michelle Shepard, uh, you are the, uh, the the host, and and what what are the credits do you do you give yourself on Brainwashed? Like, are you you're you're the host? That's a Did good you- question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the it's such a it really is such a team effort. So I help produce yeah. and and write as well. Um, <laughs> But I can't remember what the official uh, title is. I think it's host and producer. Well, I'm just going to say your podcast, uh, Brainwashed, is is so it's a CBC podcast, and it is uh, I just I just binged it uh, over the last couple of days, and he, the reason I love this podcast so much is because I am a massive uh, fan of the genre of horror. Love horror films, love horror books, love horror music. Like I, I just love things that make me feel uneasy, uncomfortable, and quite frankly, terrified. And this podcast is, although it's not a scary podcast, it is, it, it is the stuff of that genre. Like it is horrifying yeah. in in its in its own way, but the. Except but the it's best real. part about it, it's real. <laughs> it's real. It yeah, really is that fucking the best happened. part? <laughs> I, I mean, no. But for me, as an as as an avid right. fan, yes. I mean, like it. It is. It's really horrifying. So, I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe let's just give a brief overview. Or Michelle, if you could give us a brief overview of what uh, is is kind of unpacked within Brainwashed. Um, and then, and then, but but after that, I kind of want to get to know you a little bit better and and your history as a as a journalist because I, I think the the work that you did in this show is just fascinating and I feel like you, you're you're a pretty pretty broad wealth of knowledge when it comes to a lot of really interesting things. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm really glad that you you enjoyed it so much. It's so interesting that you say you're a fan of horror and that's what drew you to it because I'm not like mm. I'm I'm someone who has covered horrific things but I actually cannot watch a horror show I mean I'm like I <laughs> right like a horror movie I look through my my fingers um so just to give you the genesis of where this came from and and credit where credit is very much due um this was Lisa Ellenwood is a producer at CBC and she works for the fifth estate and they had been doing documentaries for a lot of years like going back to the uh 80s um, on this program called MK Ultra, and mm. I think most people have probably—I know I had—have at least heard of it. But until mm. I did this, I didn't really understand the extent or what it was. And and just very briefly, it was uh, a covert uh, operation that took place during the Cold War, 1950s and 60s, where the CIA 
uh, wanted to harness the power of brainwashing. They wanted to mm. figure out how to use mind control. And this was, you know, during the, the time of great paranoia where there's communists <laughs> hiding around every corner. And, and yeah, the sleeper U.S. Cells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sleeper, sleeper cell commies. Cells. Yeah. Absolutely. And so there were these American prisoners of war that uh, the Americans believed have been brainwashed because they were saying things that they believed the only reason they would be saying that was because, you know, the communists had managed to brainwash them. So they mm -hmm. wanted this power in themselves. So they had this massive, massive covert operation where they did illegal experiments, trying all sorts of things to, to figure out how to brainwash people. LSD, we can talk about that. Uh, yeah. Drugs became a huge component. There was um, sleep deprivation, electroshock therapy. And amazingly, one of the biggest programs was here in Canada, in Montreal. And I say amazingly because even though the Fifth Estate has done great work over the years, and there has been reporting, some amazing reporting that's been done on this, people don't really realize that that was kind of in our backyard here in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't realize the scope of MKUltra. And, and I didn't. And I feel a bit sheepish about that because, you know, since 9-11, I've been covering issues of intelligence and national security and yeah. terrorism. So you think I would have known more about it, but I didn't until uh, joining up to to help out with this one. And if you guys know, is is MK Ultra also the name of a band? Because sounds like it would be. If I it's mean, not, it, would, it totally yeah. should be. I, like, it should it, be. Let's start a fucking band I, today, dude. I first um, I first came, and I'm kind of so so. Jeremy's Jeremy's listening to the podcast. Brian's kind of started. I haven't listened to the podcast yet, although the genre and and everything that's contained therein is very much up my alley. I I first heard of MK Ultra I when I read well I watched the film but firstly the book by Ron Johnson or is it Ron Johnson or John Ronson Men Who Stare at Goats Oh my god we're all like I'm going to google as you said Sounds say like John Ronson it's, it's he it's like I thought it was Ron Swanson <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had a mustache and he's a libertarian I thought it was Swan um, Ronson And and I and I remember watching that movie in all of its like weird comedic comedic mm -hmm. glory and at the time watching the movie, and I was quite young when the movie came out, I think it was like, I want to say it was like early 2000, like 2010 ish, maybe even before that. But I was watching it, not knowing that it was based on based in reality, based, uh -huh. based in yeah. reality. Obviously yeah. it's not like a true story. You know, it's like any movie, like this is based on true events. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, it was John Ronson. John, John Ronson. Ronson. Not yeah. Ron oh, I was Swanson. Trying, I was trying to get your, to get the Googling faster than you. It's a, and 2009, you were quite close. 2009. Yeah. And, the, and the LSD <laughs> and the mind control yeah. part, like there was this whole thing in the movie where they were like, if you stare at the goat long enough, like the goat will die. The goat, the goat will die. Yeah. And, and then, and then in the final, in the final scene, I think one the main character who I believe was George Clooney, Clooney was he like man, runs, yeah. he runs straight through a wall at the end of the movie and then mm. it goes, and then it goes to black. Right. Yeah, right. And it's like the realization <laughs> that everything that they were right. It would right. be really funny if the whole story, like if there was a comedy about the prisoners who came back from Russia and they were like, for sure, these guys were brainwashed. And the guys are like, actually, communism seems like a pretty good idea on paper. And they're like, that's cr crazy. And they're like, no, but on paper, it's actually kind of makes a lot of sense. And they're like, you must have been brainwashed. So, 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 the, so the genesis of MKUltra is in, is in like Soviet Cold War fear and paranoia right. and, and they're trying to, and, the, and, and they wanted to, um, did they want to, 
So they thought that the Soviets sort of had this power and they wanted to equal it or better it? That's right. I mean, if you think about it, what an amazing tool it would be for a government to have, especially for an intelligence agency. Mm. So I think it was this race to try and get it first. And we can get to this later, but what we tried to do in the podcast was, was show how that's carried on through history, how that that quest, that idea that we can get people to do what they don't want to do, mm-hmm. um, get people to say what they don't want to say. That continues today. And, and some and some of that I got to see in my you know post 9-11 uh, reporting in, in terms of interrogations and what carried on. Mm. But that all has its genesis back yeah, in the 50s and 60s and this this time of paranoia when you know, it was a time of fear. And and in times of fear, um, governments often overreach. The public of, often doesn't know, or sometimes even if they do know, in times of fear, you have this mentality that, you know, well, better safe than sorry. Mm. Um, and we often see these types of, you know, disastrous human rights abuses take place. Yeah. The the thing that really kind of shook me, and, and you, you sort of touched on this uh, a bit there when you were talking earlier, Michelle, but I, I've, I've heard quite a bit about MKUltra and, and there's, there's a couple of podcasts that I really love that took really big, deep, deep, deep dives on it. Um, uh, and the thing that I had no idea about was that it was that the, the, the really horrifying and, and like ethically just disastrous, um, uh, experiments that were being done on, unwitting participants like people who had no fucking clue that they were a part of this this giant machine of 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 experiments going on was actually also taking place here in Canada that's that was the thing that really like blew my mind wide open and so going you know i i just i loved i loved learning about and and folks if you're listening to this just please like just go listen to the podcast it's so good <laughs> The the entire uh, like unpacking of um, Dr. Ewan Cameron and the work that he did in Montreal, mm-hmm. it's like it's one of those things that just, I mean, it's it's astounding that it was able to go on, mm-hmm. and and it's funny like it, I I not to throw you under the bus, Bri, but we were talking about. I was this hoping other, you're going to bring this up because it, I have a point. Yeah, that we were talking about this the other day, and I, and and I was going, I was going, guys. This fucking podcast is insane. <laughs> They're talking about doing these like crazy experiments on people, and they had no idea. This one guy was brought in there because he had he had like a you know a neuro problem with his face, and he he voluntarily goes into this hospital, this psychiatric hospital, and they basically keep him prisoner for like almost a year. And Bry is like, I Bri, said, Bri goes, yeah, yeah, it was the fifties, but it was the fifties. Like, it's not that crazy. And I'm going, but. That is wild that that was like, that's wild that that happened. But your, your thought of, well, everything in the fifties was, was wild. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of wild things that happened in in the fifties that were like ethically and morally sure. totally wrong. Sure. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's why, here's why I feel like uh brainwashed really tapped into my, like scratch that horror itch. Mm-hmm. is because everything that I listened to that you dived into in the show made me realize that it's just as plausible that something as f- as fucked up and and diabolical. and diabolical as this could be happening today and we have absolutely no idea like what is what yeah. could be the the our version of the MK Ultra 
experiments in, you know, 50 years from now that, that, the, that generation looks back on and goes, Oh man, wow. I can't believe this intelligence agency was doing this, you know, and who knows, maybe, maybe we've already seen it. Maybe it is the, well, it, the, I, it, um, like, it, you know, the, the shit, the, 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 the release of privacy and, and like the whole, the whole like data Snowden. thing, the snow. Yeah. Like that whole snow. Yeah. That I, th- I don't yeah, know. I, I, Michelle, I wanted to ask you about, um, because in, in the second episode you dive into, uh, the Nuremberg code and like mm. the, and, and where the, and, and the Nuremberg trials, where that came from. Can you give our listeners like a sort of a brief overview of, of what that was? Because I think it's really relevant to our podcast in, in the, um, being in the health uh, space and the like speaking to that point about the fifties, um, the research that was being done at the time on mental health and the human brain was so like, there wasn't any yeah. happening basically, basically yeah. at that point. It was and so like, experimental. And that's why yeah. like some of these crazy things yeah. were able to happen because it was happening, but it nothing. was like wild west. Like totally. Yeah. 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 And I, I actually think that is a really important point to bring up because psychiatry really was in its infancy. So back in the 50s, I mean, there were lobotomies. There mm-hmm. was electroshock therapy. There there was some, there were practices that were going on that would never happen today. Mm-hmm. So that's good to keep in mind. I think what made MK Ultra so horrific, though, even within the time, is that most of the participants had no idea yeah. that they were mm-hmm. part of an experiment. So, you know, all these poor people in Montreal, you you uh, mentioned one of the, the characters uh, who we start off with his son um, talking about his father going into the hospital with pain in his face that they believed was neurological. And he goes in for this cutting edge treatment. Little does he know he's going to be thrown into this experiment and, you know, basically kept captive and, and put, you know, have massive electroshock therapy and drugs. And he doesn't, and it's ostensibly to get rid of the pain in the face. That's what he believes, but that's not what it was about. It was about mm. experiments. Other, um, there were a lot of women that went in for, you know, what would be postpartum depression mm-hmm. today or anxiety. That's what they thought they were getting treated with. And they weren't, they were basically these human guinea pigs. And so that links back very much to the Nuremberg trials that you mentioned, because this is, you know, Cold War is at the end of World War II. And so they had the various trials and one of them was known as the doctor's trial. And this was for the horrific experiments that ended up killing many of the prisoners. And and the idea was to put these doctors on trial, come out with a code of conduct that would be, you know, internationally recognized. And, you know, out of those words that we've heard too many times in history, which is never again. So to have these experiments come right on the heels of that was especially odious, you know, because again, some of the families uh, the, the surviving relatives and this trauma really is generational. I was really taken aback by how much the kids and the grandkids Mm -hmm. of those who are experimented on really feel it. Um, you know, for them, they liken these experiments to what happened in the Nazi camps. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they, it really ruined, it didn't kill their, their, um, parents, um, their, you know, spouses or their siblings, but it, it turned them into different people and it ruined their lives. And And, and and it is that, that direct connection between, between Operation Paperclip and MK Ultra, and f- so Operation Paperclip for people who aren't familiar is the is essentially look when, into when it. Look yeah, into look it. into it, man. <laughs> uh, it, it happened. Uh, it is. It, it is another it, thing it, that you're going. 
it, it, this I, happened. Yeah, it's, it I does know. sound like you're wearing a tinfoil hat when you're fucking talking about it because yeah. it, it's, yeah. it is, you know, Nazi Germany, uh, Nazis lost the war. And before going into the Nuremberg trials where these Nazi uh, soldiers and scientists were being, um, on, being put on trial and, and put to death, the, the, the USSR <clears throat> and America stepped in and they kind of went through the Rolodex of all these Nazis and basically said, yo, these guys, these ones that are smart. scientists or yeah. these ones that have rocket engineering backgrounds or these ones that have, um, you know, like these ones that are physicians, they're really smart. And, and that's where you get Werner von Braun coming to it, yeah. work uh-huh. at NASA and develop it, rockets that go bring us to the moon. Not working at NASA. Heading NASA. Heading NASA. Yeah. You know, the, the head of NASA was yeah. a was a Nazi soldier. Yeah. Hey, help and them these, win the space race. And, and these terms, they always, I mean, I have a, a dark <laughs> sense after covering the stuff for so long, I have a dark sense of humor. But, you know, no these, yeah. these, these terms that they come up with, like it was called Operation Paperclip because literally they would put the paperclip on those files of mm. the, you know, Nazi doctors that they wanted to bring over. And you're just yeah. like, just it's crazy. So, 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 yeah. so I mean, like to, to, to kind of just dive into that a little bit, how much of the work that they, that how much of the, of what those Nazi scientists had been looking into, uh, you know, trying to study or, or, or implementing was actually brought over into MK Ultra. Is that something? Is that something that like the world knows, or is that kind you know of what? I we actually didn't go down that that path. This was actually our probably our biggest uh, problem with doing the podcast. This was so much. You know, once yeah. you start to scratch the surface, there were so many different directions that you could go in. So we we tried to you know keep kind of our narrative arc on the the mm. Montreal Hospital. Um, I am curious about that though. How how. And I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're, you're right though. In that it could, there's so many yeah, different yeah, branches yeah. that you could have gone yeah. down. I mean, you had mentioned it kind of briefly earlier, but the whole LSD thing, which is another fucking wild, fascinating element to this entire, um, this entire program that the CIA had created. A lot of the, the studies that they were, that they were trying to, uh, one big part of that, of that program was they were trying to use LSD, correct me if I'm wrong, as a tool to, to like reprogram the human brain in order to gain control, which is very funny because LSD doesn't really work like that. And, and, and so, and, but because they were getting, because they were getting such large amounts of LSD in through the CIA that that ended up leaking out into the into yeah. the, the the general population which which stemmed an entire social movement right. you know like like the like Ramdas and the, and the Grateful Dead and and all yeah. that sh- all that shit is literally because the CIA <laughs> had imported so much yeah. fucking acid into the United States and it seeped out. I mean, they even, basically were the first, uh, the first drug, the large scale American drug dealer. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they basically, wow. you know, LSD was in its infancy then. So it just, mm-hmm. and they basically bought up the world supply and brought it over. Oh, wow. And, I didn't and know tried that. to, yeah, and tried to experiment. As you said, then it seeped out. And then, and then you have the counterculture. And then, of course, the backlash, the, you know, this never ending war on drugs. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other, we actually, this was another area we talked about. 
um, going into, and we just, we just couldn't fit it all in, but I find it fascinating. Uh, One of the um, byproducts of that is it actually set back LSD being used as we're seeing it being used now, you know, like so many years with this war on drug and now we're seeing it actually has some benefit benefits when used in a clinical sense, you know, with people with PTSD and that it's taken that long to come back around. Yeah. And Um, and there's that, there's that cross, there's that, there's a big crossover there with, there's a big crossover there with what, with what we do. And we've talked about, we've talked about, you know, the potential therapeutic, therapeutic uses of, of, of psychedelics and, Mm -hmm. um, and you know Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, course, is a really, yeah. is a really yeah. great little is a great deep dive on on. I I didn't know that that was the genesis of yeah. counterculture, like with LSD and you know like Grateful Dead and which Rock, is so Richard funny Alpert because of the way that they intended it to work to control people's minds, yeah, but it actually like know, makes you more free thinking. And, yeah. you're like, and, <laughs> and again, like like a little bit of tinfoil hat uh, <laughs> uh, conspiracy theory here, but like there there is some speculation, I believe that it was intentional to seep that to seep the acid out into the general population to see what would happen, you know? And, and there's a lot of, there's a, I mean, if we're getting so far from, like, from, from but, 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 but it's, there is possible. Very, it's possible. very possible. And, and also unintended he, consequences, man, Marilyn, Marilyn, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a lot uh, to be said about like Marilyn Manson and everything that, that went on in that entire shit show of a story all due to LSD, all potentially being supplied to him, all by the CIA. Like it's, 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 it. The Wait, thing is that, that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's. So is the that thing, true? There, there is, there there's is a, a there's, there's a, a new book, book that came out that oh. was written about the possibility of that being true. Now, whether or not that is true, I think it's one of those things where it's like we don't. I just want to say really hard for everything to that we've said up until that point, we're sure is <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is a gray area. <laughs> like I do love There's conspiracy theories. It. I will say it, 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 it also kind of like sparks that, that scratches a very similar itch to the, that's a good thing. question for you, Michelle but, though, is, is like digging into topics like this that mm-hmm. are like, you know, have been super covert and you're trying to learn the truth about things. Yeah. Like how hard is it to sift through that's so the conspiracy hard. theories? <laughs> Yeah, it's so hard because it's it's because you think so much of it sounds like a conspiracy theory, and then you find the document or someone who has found the document. You're like, oh, okay, that should actually happen, mm-hmm. you know. And it's and yeah. and the problem is, and I think we try and emphasize emphasize this at the end of the podcast is that you know governments to this day, U.S., Canada, still haven't really owned up to this. This many mm-hmm. years later, I mean, some of these families are demanding, you know begging for an apology or some sort of acknowledgement that that happened. And because of that, it kind of feeds conspiracy theories because Mm -hmm. when you don't really know the truth, the facts about what happened, then it just gives, you know, so much ammunition to make it seem, you know, even more outlandish. Um, So it's because it's, so it's kind of like a a vicious cycle. It goes around. Mm -hmm. I'm, I want to kind of touch on uh, your, your personal work uh, a little bit. Outside of of brainwashing, outside of the of MK Ultra, you you were you were saying earlier how you you really don't enjoy horror, um, <laughs> and and I look at your career as an investigative journalist, and I think there's a lot of like it sounds it sounds really scary, you know, like you've been to some pretty intense places around the world, and you've covered some pretty intense topics. Um, what? Can you just give our listeners a little bit of like background into some of the work that you've done to kind of give us a bit of context into how you ended up where you are now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I had a journalism job that 
I don't know if it exists anymore. I hope it does because I feel pretty lucky for the career I was able to have. But I, I was at the Toronto Star for um, 21 years and I was a crime reporter for a lot of my early years and then 9-11 happened. And I went that day to New York and that kind of started, you know, a 20-year journey in national security. And I was, so for many of those years, I was um, a foreign correspondent, but I was always based here in Toronto. Uh, so, but I would go off to countries that made sense for my my beat to try and understand it. I feel and like I foreign cor- foreign correspondent is the coolest job title in the world. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very John. It's very uh, John Clancy. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tom, Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. <laughs> John yeah. Ronson. John Ronson. Yeah. Swan, John Ronson. Swan Ronson. <laughs> Swan Ronson. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sorry. Like, Sorry. No, are you kidding? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I no longer get to do that, so I'll just live vicariously through what I used to do. But um, uh, yeah, it was just this. It was just a cool beat. That um, you could go, I mean, because typically a foreign correspondent, you're based in a region. And and that is some of the most valuable work that's done. You, you know, live in a region, you fully understand it. What I was more um, a hybrid where I just covered a beat. So I, so, you know, I would go off to Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan, uh, Guantanamo Bay, Syria. So I'd sort of follow... Um, wow more the the trends and the ideology than what was going on in a region per se. And I wasn't, I wasn't really, I covered a lot of conflict, but I don't really consider myself a conflict reporter. Like I didn't mm-hmm. cover Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, I never embedded. Uh, it was more kind of watching trends before they happened or after or the fallout and, and following up. And it was just, um, yeah, really, I mean, it was just so amazing to have, it sounds so corny when I say it, but to have that, you know, front row seat to history and like often you would just have these moments um like I'm almost 50 but I still have them when I you know I'm an interview and I'm like why the fuck are you talking to me like (laughs) it's like this, this weird like passport you get as a journalist where people you know from presidents down to like some super interesting person on the street is telling you their stories and it really is it's like a great privilege yeah yeah I like what can can you <clears throat> Guantanamo Bay. Like how <laughs> surreal of an experience is it to go surreal. to a place like that? <sighs> right, yeah. It's like you can't you it's one of those strange places that you really words don't quite describe it. Like and for mm. a while there because I was covering the case of um Canadian Omar Khadr. Yeah, um man. so I I've gone half a dozen not a half a dozen. Uh a couple dozen. I've been over like 25 26 trips there. I was going back and forth a lot. Oh shit, wow. And every time you came back, it was it was like you had to kind of decompress. And, and you would have that from totally. other trips as, as well, of course, like if you're in a conflict zone. But there was something so strange and perverse about Guantanamo yeah. that like it played so far outside the rules of normal society yeah. that you would have to come back and sort of reset mm. your your thinking. Um, did, what kind of did, like did you have to do any? I mean, it, it not uh, reverse reverse of coming back, but going there. Like, did you have to do any pre prep for your own? No, I don't know, like it, mental well being or. Well, it's it's so it's so so strange because it's it's you get there and it's it's like a base in Cuba and yeah. there's so I mean we slept in you know they put the journalists in tents on the tarmac. Um, I always joke that like the American military was kind of like they hated the the detainees, the lawyers and the journalists. And like, sometimes in like, I wasn't sure what the order of us, was. but, um, but it was, 
but it wasn't like you weren't in a conflict zone. You're like, you could go to the McDonald's on the base if you wanted, or mm-hmm. the Starbucks. Like it was, it was really strange. It was like this, this Caribbean gulag meets like American city. That's um, so strange. And, and, and just, I think for, for me, one of the frustrations for all the journalists who covered it, one of the frustrations was that um, trying to manage the message you know, we used to have um, OPSEC, operational security reviews all the time. And the ones that they would just have perverse rules. Um, the ones that used to drive me crazy were for photographs. So they would go through every image that you would take when you're there. And they'd have these <laughs> like, like Pentagon edicts of what you could or couldn't have in your photo. So one of the battles we would have with the public affairs uh, officials would be that you couldn't show the coastline. So if you happen to be shooting something and like the coastline was in there, like you're going to have to delete that. And you're like, what was the reasoning? It it would just be OPSEC, operational security. And we're like, yeah, but like Al Qaeda knows Cuba is an island. And it's like, you can go on Google earth and you can go look at the base. But these poor like public affairs officers look, I don't know. I'm following orders. Delete it. Yeah. That's the rule, dude. I didn't, I didn't, (laughs) I'm just passing on the info. I wonder (laughs) if part of it is them going, I bet yeah, anything they shoot will have coastline. Tell them they got to delete anything with coastline on it. <laughs> yeah, just like just for just, <laughs> just, 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 just for the fuck just of it. Make it just to make it a pain in their ass. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. I'm I'm curious, like you you having worked so having worked so long in um and covering like national security stuff and kind of tying that in a little bit to what you said earlier, Jer, on like, you know, what is that next thing? And I'm 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 there's these like I don't know if it's fully formulated yet, but it's kind of swirling around in my head and like the crossover between the crossover between like how how governments, you know, how governments operate and like how they, how they sort of plug into the social fabric and, and ways that they try to maybe, um, you know, manipulate for surveillance purposes or things like that. And, and, and overall, like we deal with mental health a lot and, Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, there's this ever raging battle of, or question in mental health of like, what is nature and what is nurture and how, how does, how does what somebody lives with you know, how is it affected by, you know, their, their brain chemistry or their experiences in life? And, and, um, and, and in this age, especially in the last decade of social media and yeah. big data playing this role. And I'm, this question sort of tied into like Ed Snowden, um, and maybe your take on some of, on some of that stuff. And that's where it came from with you, Jeremy is like mm. when, when governments are trying to tap in to kind of like the the ways that this that the social fabric is made up and kind of tinker a little bit um such as how they surveilled how the nsa was surveilling people and how ed snowden blew the whistle on that like i'm curious as to like how how that 
has an effect or how we might think that that has like an overall effect. Like I'm thinking of the, the people that were the unwitting participants in what you covered in brainwash and MK ultra and sort of making a parallel to how with big data and with the, the, the NSA stuff that Ed Snowden blew the whistle on and then like social media, like how we are sort of the unwitting participants in a lot of like social yeah. sort mm-hmm. of studies that are going on right now. And I'm thinking when you say, what are the things that are going to, what are we going to look back on? What's our MK ultra? In yeah. Years? yeah. Like, I is, don't know. I mean, I, I think about these things too. And, and, and I don't know, cause typically we only kind of figure things out, uh, you know, a decade later, it, it seems. And I just know the one that I kind of lived through reporting would have been the post nine 11. And, you know, and as I said, I covered nine 11. I, I remember like, you guys are younger than I am, but you probably have some memories. Do you have some yeah. memories? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 I, stay, I was homesick from school that day and I watched the second plane. I was go at school. Yeah. sent home. Yeah, I saw oh, the second plane. Yeah, it was yeah. tragic. So you, can, so you do remember that feeling of like of fear. Like it was yeah. such for us in North America, that was such, yeah. uh, especially in the States, you know, that was such a, a fearful time. Um, and then right after came the anthrax scare and all. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was. So when you started hearing these stories about like these prisoners being taken in, what, there's nearly 800 people being held in Guantanamo and things like waterboarding at first, like, I remember trying to get these stories in the paper and it was, it was actually hard to get them in. Like it was relegated to the back. Like now when we look back, outrageous things happened, human, you know, disastrous human rights abuse happened. Obama came out and said it was torture, but that took a long time to kind of not only, um, I would say, understand fully what happened. And I would argue, we still don't know fully what happened, but also to realize it was wrong. You know, this, this idea in times of fear of how the fear of the other, other, and all of our ability, uh, to, 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 you know, let, certain morals and ideas and ethics we go slide in those times. Um, mm. That certainly was the time cold war after the cold war that was, you know, after the war on terror. So what are we living in now? Um, this mm. crazy pandemic world. Mm. And I don't know if we've seen it played out. Um, I haven't done any reporting on this, you know, so I don't, I don't know where we're at, but I wouldn't be surprised if in some way, this is another incredibly fearful time. So, mm. so what's going on that we, we don't know about. Um, and I'll just add to that. I mean, we're talking about all the abuses, you know, inherently security agencies aren't, you know, developed as these nefarious agencies to, you know, right. to commit yeah. human rights abuses. It's just, this is what happens in the extreme yeah. and extreme times mm-hmm. seem to welcome these extreme measures. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely fascinating. That's a really interesting observation in the way that like in these extreme times, you like people adopt strange behaviors yeah. and and you know i was we were talking to bride we were walking dogs this morning and we were having that conversation about like in the wake of in the wake of covid and this like cluster this undecipherable amount of information that's yeah. coming out about what covid is and vaccines and how they're made and everyone's opinions it's like you're so many people that coming out of the woodwork and you're like, that person thinks that? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, we yeah. lost a lot of good people. Like I saw Tony, Rib- Tony, <laughs> Tony Robbins <laughs> fucking spouting yeah. bullshit on yeah, his Instagram yeah. the other day and I'm like, 
this man that was guy, Tony Robbins a good, always a good person though. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. He was in shallow hell. He made people walk on hot coals. I don't. I don't, I don't trust anyone. I think, anyone I think he had good coals. intentions, and I think maybe he still. But, does, but, but it's a, but it's such bullshit. a good point. It it divides people, right? Like we've mm-hmm. I've got you know restaurants in my neighborhood that I used to go to all the time, and the stuff they're spouting on Twitter, I'm you know the anti kind of masking stuff. Mm. I'm like I'm gonna boycott them. I mean that's a stupid small mm. example, but it just shows like in these strange times how divisive it can be. Yeah, right? yeah. And, yeah. and in yeah. that time with them with with the CIA and with the MK Ultra program, like morals become morality becomes very gray and mm-hmm. and like choices are made to mm. subject people to things that outside of those circumstances, outside of the you know uh, you know to Tom Clancy it up the clear and present danger of of uh of the Soviet Union and Cold War fears like you justify doing mm-hmm. wild wild things. Yeah. Um Michelle I wanted to ask you about uh, given your your career and and the work that you've done and how you you've done you spent a lot of time looking into things that on the surface may look one way and then you dig in deeper and you find out that it's really something different. Um how do you feel or has that impacted the way that you view the world. And I like, I imagine that for me, if if I was in that situation, I would find it really hard to trust people Mm. because Mm. you're constantly shown one thing and then told that it's actually something else. Um, do you find that it's had an impact on you or you, or is it, pretty easy for How many self-defense weapons do you carry around <laughs> in your purse? Is I know. It fairly, I think, yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm a weird Pollyanna that has like not had that, that cynicism set in, mm. which I'm thankful for. Um, but I do, but I do think like, it's a good question. I think I probably, I don't know if it bleeds into my personal life, but definitely in my professional life, I just, I don't trust anybody. Like I don't, yeah. you know, I said earlier that I was like people, I'm always amazed. Why are people talking to me? Um, but I, I do think, okay, what's somebody's agenda, especially if it's somebody in a position of power, you know, and mm. over the years I've managed to make, you know, sources within the intelligence and policing community and, and elsewhere, mm. but I never believed like, oh, they're telling me this because I'm so charming and clever that I'm getting them to right. tell me this, right. you know, there was yeah. always like, and, and that's okay. Like sometimes it's okay to get information mm. as long as you understand their, their motives. It's a bit of a symbiotic relationship and, mm. and that's okay. But I never, yeah, I never, there was always definitely that distrust. That's like, okay, what's your agenda here? Yeah, um, right. So I, pro- but I don't know if that bleeds into my personal life. I think I'm a bit of a gullible dope and pretty trusting and that's pretty good that you, that's pretty good that you're able <laughs> yeah. to leave it at the door that, that you're able to separate that do you I, ever do you ever think of how many lists you're on though <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god oh. Wow. that was that was I over used, the, that was might be over the line we used to joke about we used to joke about this because you know at some point when i was really deep into reporting you i would just assume my phone was being listened to and not because i would necessarily have anything interesting that they'd want, but I would be talking to people who would be on lists. Sure. Um, yeah, right, yeah. You know, like o- over the years, I you know interviewed a lot of people who were later, you know, killed in an attack or on the UN terrorism <laughs> watch list. And um, definitely when you traveled, I had one very funny um, example when I was in Pakistan and it's like, whoever was on my phone was like, like having his lunch, like chewing chips that I could hear. <laughs> I was like, mm. like whoever was listening to you, whoever was listening in. Oh, and I wow. was like, I was like, can you just be like a little more covert? Just <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, Hey, stop chewing. I can't, I can't, you, I I can't, can't hear, hear the information hear. that yeah. you want. And then, then you just hear, <laughs> yeah. then you just hear, oh, sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God, the most disgusting um, sound on a microphone ever. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think that you just, you have to, it got to a point that when you cover these kind of issues, you actually went back to old fashioned journalism because mm. where you, you know, like Watergate, like you, you would meet people in underground garages because you could yeah. never totally trust a lot. You just had to assume you were being listened to. And, and, and that was important because if you had someone that you did need to protect a yeah. source that needed that, you had to really go to the nth degree. Wow. That's super um, cool. Have you ever been tailed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, um, well in, in other countries for sure. Like, yeah. um, uh, I remember covering Meherar case in Syria and it was yeah, absolutely no bones made about it that like they wanted me to know that we followed her. Every time I left my hotel room, yeah. the, I'd come back and the safe would be open. <laughs> Nothing would be taken, but the safe would be open. Just wow. and it was just kind of like psychologically. Whoa, we're watching you. <laughs> oh, um, I've always dreamt of getting in a cab and saying, "Lose them." Brian, you don't even like that's a fun fantasy. You could do that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. You want like yeah. I, I'll get in the car and and just get behind the cab that you that you uh, hail and and you yeah. just say lose Brian, them and I'll can, I'll try to keep up. You can experience that with movies like all the time. Yeah, I yeah. I feel like I would like the thrill of it in real life though. Yeah, Maybe right, I'd so. be more of like a like a, a VR guy. I, I, uh, well, we did we did used to joke though because it was funny. Like I've just told you probably my like three most exciting dramatic stories, and the rest of the time I'd be like, oh god, the poor CSIS guy who's like listening in, being like, um. When are you going to spitting class? You know, like the rest of the nonsense you talk about. I, I, I do want to kind of come back to brainwashed and, and just, just uh, through, I'm curious to know your experience in, you know, it's one thing to kind of like go through the, 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 the paperwork and, and like the research side of things on, on the story. But, but uh, I feel like it's probably an entirely different experience when it comes to actually speaking to the people who were uh, ultimately victims of what had gone on at the Allen Memorial Institute. Um, yeah. And and although you weren't talking directly to the people who had the experiments done to them, but speaking to their children and, and how, I mean, obviously you're going to be hearing from them or maybe not, but like, like you, you you had mentioned intergenerational trauma earlier, yeah. and yeah. <clears throat> I'm curious to know what your take is on on that. Like, is that something? Is intergenerational trauma something that you had sort of a familiar take on before no. you started these? You know, unpacking these stories. No, and it's a it's a really good question, and thanks for asking that because you know we, we're talking about this, we're joking about this. There's so much that's so perverse, and you guys kind of share, you know, this this dark sense of humor that you have to have, but the, but the, oh, but the podcast itself, and we were really, um, we were really careful to make sure we did this, you know, never let, we didn't want to lose sight of those who were actually yeah. you know, mm -hmm. severely impacted. And, and over the years, um, I have interviewed obviously lots of people who have been in traumatic situations, but I think um, my reporting has always been very much in the moment. So it's, it's what's happening right then. Um, it's to people that you know, are involved in conflict or some, some sort of human rights abuse at that time. So I was a little taken aback. I have to admit when the, when I was interviewing the children and how emotional they were, like how it was just so clear that mm. this didn't, this trauma didn't end half a century ago. This was passed down through 
children. And, and we talk about um, generational trauma, of course, and more recently, you know, in Canada, in terms of the Indigenous community, and, mm-hmm. and there's so many examples of it that I hadn't reported on that before. So to see it so fresh and so raw was really, was really important because it made it an important story even more important story for today. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this was, you know, thanks to, to Lisa, who uh, Lisa Allenwood, who had worked on this story for many years on the documentary side, because it's, it's hard when, when you're in that position, it's hard to have people hard for them to open up. So she had really gained their trust beforehand and that mm-hmm. made it much easier to, to talk to them. Um, but we were really happy at the end that th- that was some of the feedback we got right away was from from the families because you know that's always your worry when people do trust you to tell their stories um you want to make sure you know that you honor that and you do Mm it uh non-sensationally yeah so we did we were thankful we did get good feedback and a lot of them said listen i just i just feel like we've been so voiceless for so long like this is mk ultra is this bizarre like pop culture phenomenon that people know a little bit about but they don't know journalistically like what happened and and what trauma it was. Yeah. I think that was, that was the thing that I think drew me in so much to brainwashed was, was just how, because again, everything that, everything that I had known about MK ultra up to that point, it wasn't about the personal stories that were coming out of those wackadoo experiments that were going on. It was about how wacky and fucked up and, and bizarre and, and fascinating this like program was. But then you hear, you, you hear like from the mouths of, of the people who are actually affected by this, like what had gone on. It's like, oh man, like it really, yeah. it really kind of stops you in your tracks. How did that, in, you know, in terms of dealing as an investigative journalist and talking to people who are in the midst of trauma versus reporting and, and talking to people who are dealing with trauma from the past, like, did that change your, the, the sort of, this might be the, a, a, like a, a poor word to put it, but did that change the tactics that you used in order to pull the information? The approach. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The approach that you used to pull the information out of the, the, the subjects that you were speaking with. You know what? I don't think it, I, I don't think it, it did. I think, you know, Early on, I always saw this story, but on my third day, I was like 22 on my third day as intern at the Toronto Star. We didn't have a lot of training back then. And I went and covered the story of a mother whose baby had delivered her child, been dropped on the floor of the delivery room and died. And it was so tragic. And I was so, you know, new to journalism. I didn't know. And this was, this is how old I am. They didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. So I remember like going to the payphone and telling my editor, like the mom's not home. I can't get the story. She's not home. They're just like, Oh, just wait there. And being horrified, horrified, horrified. By the time I finally get to the door, she opens it and I burst into tears, like completely unprofessional. Um, And she was a lovely, lovely woman took me and told me her story. But I remember from that day, like just, like an early journalism lesson. It's like, this isn't about you like this, Mm. like don't ever do that to somebody again. Like that's not fair. Mm. Um, All you're there to do is, is to listen. You know, I, I think I, you know, I never say I, I I know how you must be feeling. I never use words like closure. I never, I just never presume I know what somebody's going through. So I, hopefully anyway, that's what I, that's what I try to do. Mm. So I think, I don't think that's different from when someone's in the moment or, 
if it's, you know, 50 years later and it's some, something that's happened in their past. Mm-hmm. Cause I think you really never know what's going on with someone. Right. When you yeah. And it's 100%. kind of, again, I always sound hokey when I say this, but it really, it really, I'm always thankful. Like I never think anyone has to talk to me. I'm always amazed that people do mm. and thankful. So I think, I think keeping that, I think keeping that, that, that sense is going to, is what will, is what like feeds keeping the fire and the, and, and like keeping the quality of, of what you do like really high Mm -hmm. because I think that like sense of humility is really, is really important. Like, you know, I think it could be, I think it could be really easy, especially like spending so like so much time in a profession and like working on your craft and honing it over years and years. And then to, to get to that space where you feel like you deserve like, you yeah. know, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's areas where you, where you can go like, Hey, I, like I've put my work in, but like with, especially with people, with people, victims, I mean, it's different yeah. when it's authorities, you yeah. know, and people that need to answer for something. And this is also lucky when I've been a print journalist and, and now even with podcasts, it's different when you're a TV journalist. Like I do have, you know, TV journalism is not always the best journalism, but I have some sympathy for journalists in that sense, because you need to get it on camera. You need clips. Like it's a different form, mm. but I feel with, um, with print for sure. And with documentary filmmaking, which I've been involved with, um, you have more patience and more time and, and with podcasts, I mean, you guys will know this. It's, you know, I'm, I'm new to it. I'm just like three years in now. And, um, I'm, I'm in love with it. Like the intimacy yeah. that you can, you yeah, can get yeah. and, and with brainwashed, you know, you can write that story and you can write it very well and, and very emotionally, but to hear, you know, mm. Alan Tanny talk about his dad and to hear his voice wavering and it's right in your ears. And I think there's a lovely intimacy that makes mm-hmm. some stories really powerfully told. I mean, though, like yeah. podcast journalism has is podcast journalism. You could probably give that the award for making podcasting into what it is today. I mean, Serial came out however many years ago, yeah. and that really—that's yeah. like, what—that's what made podcasting yeah, a household that, name. That really blew yeah. blew podcasting into a yeah. different, into a a, a way more a broadly era. accepted medium for mm. digesting information, yeah. and um, and I think it's an incredible, the, incredible way to do it. Speaking of awards, uh, just congratulations uh, in order oh, because uh, Brainwashed was nominated for an Ambie Award, which is a pretty high honor for podcasting. So congratulations on the nomination. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, we. Very exciting. Very Fingers exciting. crossed. I do, I, I do want to say before we wrap, um, it's uh, it's really interesting that idea of how the personal stories m- make this event seem so much more, in this case, tragic, but um, you feel the emotion of the story so much mm-hmm. more. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it, it reminded me of this conversation that we were having on another audio platform the other night uh, on Clubhouse mm. uh, with with Nahid Dasani and uh, there was a few guests sharing their stories Mm -hmm. Um, and it was about the, the patient uh, narrative in healthcare and why hearing stories from patients is so important um, to encourage change in these systems that, you know, are failing to support um, and provide healthcare to, to specific populations of people. And uh, it just reminds me of like, just to, just to say to you guys too, like, I'm so grateful that we get to share stories of people who, mm-hmm. you know, have, have had their challenges with, you know, the healthcare system and illness and yeah. disease and, no doubt. and, uh, and yeah, uh, 
It just makes me think of that. And I, I want to share that. <laughs> I think you guys are doing a great job. I really, I really, uh, really enjoy your podcast, and it's such a needed voice. Yeah. Well, we enjoyed yours, and uh, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor hasn't listened yet, but I can't. Uh, but wait. you will enjoy it. I can't. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually. I'm about like yeah. right when we wrap this. I'm going. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> going on, I'm going on. I'm getting on my bike, oh. and I. I I destroy dude. They're thirty. They're like, thirty minute episodes. Yeah, too. You're, you're gonna cruise yeah. through yeah. it. It's great. <laughs> I, I, I'm going. Okay. I'm doing hundred k tomorrow. I'll listen to the whole series. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, Thanks. you can just call me, Taylor. We can just chat about it after <laughs> yeah. if you want. You know, that sounds, yeah. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Michelle Shepard, uh, this is. It's been a real treat to be able to speak with you. Uh, but before before we end it, what 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 what's next? What do you what do you have in the in the hopper? What do you what do you got going on? Uh, I, th- I think I'm allowed to say, yeah, we have a, a ser- another series coming out um, probably in the fall again. And we're just starting to look into um, the white nationalist neo-Nazi supremacist movement. And I'm actually really looking wow. forward. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. Looking forward to it. But I'm looking forward to the journalism of it after, mm. you know, so many years of mm-hmm. looking into different types of extremism, mainly, you know, the offshoots of Al Qaeda. Yeah. For me, this has been an underreported area for a long time, and it's, totally. it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. And is it yeah. through is it through a Canadian lens? It is. Wow. There will be a Canadian. It's going to be international, but there's a sure. strong Canadian connection. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Oh cool. my god, I'm so fucking excited. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, how can how can folks uh, follow along with what you're up to? Are you are you on the socials? Uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter, not as much as I used to be. I don't. Mm, I, I'm still on lots, but I used to be on all the time. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just my name on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I, that's pretty much my medium. Cool. Well, right. Michelle, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to hang out with us. This really was a treat. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. So, I really enjoyed it. Take care, guys. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.